Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, the post-Super Bowl 56 podcast. And on today's episode, we will be joined by the Hall of Fame executive, Bill Polian, who has a new book out called, fittingly enough, Super Bowl Blueprints, available at Amazon and TriumphBooks.com, written with Vic Carucci and Bill Polian will be sharing his opinions on the Super Bowl and the looming offseason ahead and what a Super Bowl it was. When you think about all the drama that occurred during that game, and it occurred to me as I was watching it, that I don't think that we've ever had a single team involved in a game with the types of storylines that were unfolding right in front of our eyes in real time with the Los Angeles Rams. It was almost like a Hollywood story that if it was presented to you in a script, you wouldn't believe it. You really wouldn't because here's a Los Angeles team playing a Super Bowl in its home stadium. And during the game, the Rams wide receiver, Van Jefferson's wife, Samaria has to leave the game because she's going into labor, going to have the couple's second child. She has to leave. Now, what I don't understand still is, was she doing this date? Did she know that there was a chance that the baby could come, that she has to leave the Super Bowl to go to a local hospital? And Van Jefferson's trying to win the most important game of his life when they've already lost a wide receiver to a significant knee injury, and he has to replace him because they're missing Odell Beckham Jr., and they're missing Robert Woods from during the season, and their tight end, Tyler Higby, is out. And so they need Van Jefferson, but his wife is on the way to the hospital because she's going into labor. So that, to me, I've never seen that in a Super Bowl. That doesn't include the fact that we have the Rams starting tackle, Andrew Whitworth essentially admitting that this is going to be his last game. And so the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, a man who's got universal respect and love around the league, is playing his last NFL game, going to retire. And there's the storyline of, arguably the greatest defensive player in the game, the greatest defensive player of the last two decades. He's thinking of retiring in this game and the safety the Rams brought out of retirement, Eric Weddle, who's about my age, I think. They brought him out of retirement. He hadn't played since what, 2019? And he tears his pec early in the game and he's tried to play through a torn pec because he's going to be retiring after the game and he wants to go out a winner. And then the Rams somehow come from behind and on the field after the game, their rookie safety Taylor Rapp gets down on a hand and knee and proposes to his girlfriend on the field. So we've got one wife going into labor. We've got another girlfriend who just got proposed to. She gets a ring on a night that her fiance gets a Super Bowl ring. We've got Aaron Donald talking retirement, Andrew Whitworth talking retirement, Eric Weddle talking retirement, and even rumors about the head coach Sean McVay retiring though he and I spoke on Saturday and he laughed it off and he's like I'm not retiring right now yeah he's thinking of having a family one day but not anytime soon and Sean McVay is going to wind up getting a contract extension this offseason he's not leaving the game just yet at some point it wouldn't shock me if he became a broadcaster went into some booth went into some studio did some sort of broadcasting work but not yet but think about all of that happening and I know as a former newspaper guy, we'd be in the press box in the Super Bowl. We'd be talking amongst our team of reporters. Hey, who wants to write what? Are there sidebars? Well, there were sidebars in this game. 
I mean, you could have written the Van Jefferson sidebar. You could have written the Taylor Rapp sidebar. Could have written the could have written the Aaron Donald sidebar, the Andrew Whitworth sidebar, the Eric Weddle sidebar, the Sean McVay sidebar. Like this was sidebars plentiful. This was Hollywood stuff that if it were given to you before, you wouldn't believe it had happened. And then on the flip side of the football, of course, we have this young upstart Cincinnati Bengals team that loses the game, overcoming so much, right? There was so much pressure on Joe Burrow, not just mentally, but physically. Has a quarterback ever been sacked that often on the way to leading his team to a Super Bowl spot? Has a quarterback been sacked that often and had his team that close to the first Super Bowl championship in the 54-year existence of that franchise? Joe Burrow was at the doorstep. You could argue he was a controversial holding call, pass interference call away from having Cincinnati win its first ever Super Bowl title in the name of Anthony Munoz and Chris Collinsworth and Boomer Esiason and James Brooks and Icky Woods and all the great Bengals who once played for that franchise and have never seen that franchise win the Super Bowl. And after the game, Joe Burrow said, that this team will be back. It will have multiple chances to play in Super Bowls. And I hope he's right. And he's got a lot of confidence. But it is really hard in this league, and especially that conference, to make it to the Super Bowl. When we talk about the best quarterbacks in the league, they're all in the AFC. We've got Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson, Mac Jones, some really good quarterbacks in the AFC. And so Joe Burrow may be good enough to get the Bengals back to the Super Bowl again. And I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't put anything past them. And the guy has an aura and a confidence that has rubbed off on his entire team. And I would even say his entire city. But to think that they'll be back multiple times, I don't know. That's a lot to ask. But he's certainly in that caliber of quarterbacks. He also is one of the best in the game already. After two years, and it was just unfortunate that Cincinnati didn't get to see this through, and it came up short in the end. All right, one man who's here to break it down and to talk about some very strong feelings on how the Super Bowl MVP vote went and what potentially could be ahead in Joe Burrow's future is the Hall of Fame executive, the former ESPN analyst, the man that ran the Buffalo Bills front office, the Carolina Panthers front office, and eventually the Indianapolis Colts front office before he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the great Bill Polian. Hello there, Bill. Hello, my friend. How are you? How are you doing? Good, thank you. Life treating you well, family's well, everything like that. Yeah, family's good, thank you, yes. Yeah? No complaints. How many grandchildren we have now, Bill? Nine. Damn. <laughs> That's a lot of grandchildren. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. What is the age range of the nine grandchildren right now? Twenty-three to wow. three. So the three-year-old keeps you busy. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we haven't seen her enough. We're gonna go see her. She's in Waco, Texas. So we'll go see her in uh, in the, in j- this spring. Good for you, Bill. Good for you. So I'm curious. We just wrapped up Super Bowl. 56. What was your biggest takeaway of the game, Bill? Uh, well, I thought that the, uh, I think the, the, the global takeaway take is that maybe for the first time in football history, uh, we've seen 
star players added to a team in season um, who really made a difference. And, and that team did not get, that team's chemistry didn't get upset by the addition of those stars. In fact, they, they added to the mix. They made it better. So are we going to now see that used as a blueprint for this offseason for teams to go out and trade for a quarterback and go sign a pass rusher and go sign a wide receiver and do the types of things that the Rams did throughout the last calendar year? Yeah, I think you'll see people try to replicate it. It depends on, obviously, who's out there. You know, There's not an OBJ available every day. There's not a Matthew Stafford available every day. Um, not a Von Miller. Not a Von Miller available every day. Not a Von Miller available every day. Yeah, yeah. So, and not every team has Aaron Donald either. <laughs> so, but that's usually the kind of thing that we see in the NBA bill where teams yes, are assembling stars, right? This was the NBAization of the NFL. I, I, I would agree with that completely. Why did it work now? Because of those guys that you're mentioning, because they had an Aaron Donald, because they had certain pieces, like all of a sudden that's never really worked in the NFL when they've assembled quote unquote dream teams the likes of which the Rams sort of had, it hasn't worked before, yet it did now. Um, well, it, for a couple of reasons, I think. No, number one, they had in place the, 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 the other people who were necessary to, to, to go to where they wanted mm -hmm. to go, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, uh, and, and so on. Um, that's number one. Number two, the guys that they added, very much like what happened in Tampa Bay last year, were guys who were at the at, at, at a crossroads in their career. OBJ, mm -hmm. two failed, you know, two failed previous situations, and or Von Miller approaching the end, where rings and success were more important to them than individual numbers or money. Yeah, that those are the two ingredients that everybody misses. And the same was true in Tampa. Gronk had make, made all the money he could ever spend. He was just coming back to get another ring and play with Tom. The running back was unhappy in Jacksonville. He'd been a number one draft choice. He'd been paid, but he was unhappy and hadn't achieved anything. So he's willing to come there and, and, and sublimate his ego and his desires to the team. And then, of course, Tom comes. He's the linchpin. He's yeah. the 800-pound gorilla that everybody wants to play with. So actually, it's really happened two years in a row because yes, it has in reality. So, now, yes. so we're now two years. Oh, I forgot chance. about Dominican Sue. I forgot about Dominican Sue at the end of his career. Right. Ooh. So we're two years into this trend, Bill, where teams can—I don't want to say buy an NBA or an NFL championship, a trade for an NFL championship—but it is seemingly a little bit more accessible with the right players. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's not buy. Because I, none of these teams paid be incredible money for, for these guys. In fact, just the reverse. But but those if those types of players are available and you already have a good core in place, that that's that's the best absolute best use of free agency. Hmm. You brought up Aaron Donald. If you were the Rams' general manager, Les Snead, and Aaron Donald were contemplating retirement as he supposedly. Now, isn't I've heard that it's a real thing, but I also think it may have something to do with the fact that he's due $14 million next year when the going rate for a great defensive lineman is much higher. 
And so maybe it's something to do with that. But I also think that he is physically worn down some. How would you approach that as the general manager for the Rams this offseason, Bill? Well, the first thing I do would be um, literally after the parade was over would be <laughs> to call him and say, let's have lunch and talk about the future because he's the linchpin for that whole team. And, uh, and why he wasn't the MVP of the game is beyond me. Uh, think about this for just one moment. I, I know I'm digressing, but think about it. Digress all you want, Bill. At the end of the game, when overtime was clearly within reach and, and maybe even a win if they hit a big play, he stopped the Bengals single-handedly twice. No one does that in football. That's Michael Jordan. He won the game single-handedly, and yet he wasn't the MVP. Why can't the voters come to bring themselves to name a defensive player the MVP? I just don't understand it. Because it's a fantasy football world that we're living in, and because Cooper Cup's numbers are so incredible, this year he caught 178 passes for 2,425 yards and 22 touchdowns. And he came through with two big touchdown catches in this game when they were playing with depleted weapons. There's no OBJ. There's no Robert Woods. There's no Tyler Higby. There's no Kendall Blanton. They're down to their last few weapons. Ben Skoranek is the guy that they need to save the day. And so you know Cooper Cup is coming, and yet he still is vital to that team with the fourth down rush that keeps alive the game-winning drive, catches the game-winning touchdown pass, keeps them in the game. So I understand why they would, but your point about Aaron Donald is spot on. I don't think voters are conditioned to thinking about defensive players in a role like that, and it's not as obvious to them because he's not pulling it up touchdown catch in every play, but Aaron Donald is so disruptive and such a menace on defense and such a force to contend with that somehow it did get lost. And your point is absolutely valid, but Cooper cup is Cooper cup. Yeah, no, I, I'm taking nothing away from Cooper cup. And, and if I had a vote, it would have been a close call, but to me, Aaron Donald, you know, made the plays that saved the game without that, uh, there's no question with that kicker, the Bengals probably are in overtime. Um, that said, uh, if I were less, I'd sit down with him and say, what, what is it that you want to do? And if compensation is, is an issue for you going forward, you know, if you, if you want to play, but compensation is an issue, let's get it worked out. Let's get it worked out before the week is out. Because you're talking about a player who is – there are only two players in my memory, at, certainly at his position and maybe at any position, who are as valuable to the team, and that is Merlin Olson and Joe Green. He's the he's a first. Aaron Donald's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Just stand up and say Aaron Donald and sit down. What about Reggie White? Reggie White was a defensive end, and and probably not as not as intrinsically important because he was Aaron Donald's closer to the ball. That's why the three technique is so important. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. 
One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Adam. So to you, the two greatest defensive tackles who ever played the game were Merlin Olsen and Mean Joe Green. Yeah, and Aaron Donald is right. Would you say he is the greatest defensive tackle who has ever played in the National Football League, Bill? I don't know that I can say that because Joe Green was an incredibly disruptive force from start to finish, as is Aaron Donald. I'll say this: in in this modern era, this 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 twenty year generation, so to speak, since or, or it's much longer than that since Joe retired. Since Joe retired, there's never been anybody better. And he would have gotten your vote undoubtedly over Cooper Cup, over anybody else. Close. It would have been close. It would have been close. Cooper Cup did a hell of a job for all the reasons that you say, but he would have gotten my vote because how many defensive tackles win a game single-handedly? I mean, he beat two blockers twice to, to, to win the game single-handedly. What about the idea on the other side of the football, Bill? The Bengals allowed all the pressure and sacks that they did in the postseason Nine sacks against the Titans, seven sacks in the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow continually getting hit, and yet they got as far as they did. What about the Bengals impressed you most at a time where they struggled to protect their quarterback? Well, I think the quarterback's toughest and resilience, number one. Um, almost every observer you know, that knew football said that the, the team that protected its quarterback best would win the game and that was the case um but i think the resilience of burrow is incredible he's a tough guy i hope that that he doesn't turn into andrew luck i mean if they, they gotta mike brown knows what he's doing and duke tobin knows what he's doing they're gonna fix that they have to fix that before before he ends up being injured and uh it, it, which will affect his his long-term career so they got to do that. And I know they, they know that. Um, I think Joe Burrow is the reason and a very good defense that they overhauled via free agency is a very good reason, but their secondary is no match was no match for the Rams. If OBJ does not get hurt. Oh yeah. That game isn't close. I don't believe despite the heroics of Joe Burrow and, and a really good receiving core. 
that game isn't close because the, the, the Cincinnati secondary could not have covered OBJ and, and Cup. That game changed when he went out of the game. You Without could just question. feel the steam almost go out of the Rams' offense. It was almost as if the whole team got hurt. There was like a they were deflated almost. Not to well, mention deprived of a top weapon. They don't number one. They don't have Higby. So so now that they've got two major weapons out of the passing game, but OBJ, you give him single coverage. I mean Eli Apple and OBJ is it fair? I mean that's not a fair. <laughs> that's not a fair matchup. And and and, and as good as a Wuzier is, and as tough as a Wuzier is, he can't handle him either. So what are you going to do? You have to you, you have to double team um, the other guy. So you have to double team Cooper Cup. So you you know OBJ's out there by himself one on one. They didn't have anybody who could handle it. Hmm. Now you mentioned Joe Burrow and Andrew Luck. That was an interesting little comparison. Has that thought occurred to you as you've watched Joe Burrow absorb all these hits it did. throughout the postseason? And how come? It did simply because Andrew absorbed. A, a ton of hits. Now, many of his came because he was running, but he absorbed a ton of hits. And in, 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 in the end, it, it ended his career prematurely. And, uh, you know, I, because they, they did not build a line that could protect him. And, uh, and as a result, uh, he had a, a very shortened career. What, what should have been perhaps a Hall of Fame career was prematurely shortened by injury. Uh, I'm praying that that doesn't happen to Joe. So they will address the offensive line this offseason. I'm sure they will. I mean, they're good football people. They will. But I was thinking this. Like, you you could go out and draft offensive linemen, Bill, but it takes a little while to mold those guys into the types of players usually that you'd want them to be, although the Chiefs had some great success with rookie offensive linemen this year that other teams did not. Can you go draft reinforcements along the offensive line for Joe Burrow? Do you have to go add one or two in free agency. What would be your approach if you were Duke Tobin in Cincinnati, knowing that your quarterback has been hit way too much this early in his career? I'd look, I'd look first in free agency. I'd look for a Corey, Corey Lindsley, you know, who was in free agency, who I could plug in right away. Not that they need a center. I think their center's okay. But I, 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 and then, you know, typically it's hard, it's hard to get tackles in free agency. You, you really have to kind of get that through the draft. So that's, I'd look for a miss and match, mix and match, excuse me. So, but but they have to do something to to, to shore that up. And and obviously, right guard is a, is a huge problem for them, as well as you know, the tackles are okay, not great, but right guard is a is a big problem. The other big thing that came out of this weekend, Bill, Hall of Fame, and a player that you helped bring to Carolina, Sam Mills, got in. What were your thoughts on seeing Sam Mills? a linebacker who starred for the Carolina Panthers, starred for the New Orleans Saints, who I believe you were tied to closely, correct? Mm-hmm. Going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, interesting backstory. Sam had, I think, just come out of Montclair State. I was working for the Kansas City Chiefs, and we were doing free agent camps around America. And we held one in New Jersey. And um, Sam showed up and worked out. And worked out very well, but he was, you know, I guess to be generous, 5'11", and uh, in those days, probably about 225 or so. He was more like my height, Bill. He was more like my height. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and so we were a 3'4 team and we needed, you know, big, 
sturdy six foot two inch linebackers, Gary Spaney and what have you. And uh, and so we decided not to sign him. And he was there with a guy who was local guy who was representing him. And I said, well, why don't you give the CFL a try? You're perfect for the CFL because you can run and they don't they don't care about height up there necessarily. Uh, and you cover a lot of ground. So he ended up um, going with the Toronto Argonauts. And, and I'm, I'm not sure he made it with them. I, I don't quite, I, 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 don't, I don't remember exactly what happened, but then he ended up trying out again for the Philadelphia Stars of the USFL and of course made it and then played for Jim Moore there and Dom Capers there. And, uh, and so when we got to Carolina, um, Sam had already had a great career with the Saints and was kind of getting toward the end. And, uh, and Dom said to me, what would you think about signing Sam as a free agent? And I, I said, it's the least I can do after having missed on him <laughs> all these years ago with Kansas City. <laughs> so uh, he, 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 we signed him as a free agent and he was the linchpin for all the early success that we had in Carolina. How does a guy that size get to be the Hall of Fame linebacker that he turned into? Well, for one thing, he had incredible balance. He was awfully hard to knock off his feet. Uh, and, and he had incredible processing speed. He could see a play develop before the ball was snapped. And he would actually make calls. He would tell guys, left, 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 right, right, right. He'd know which way they were going. Um, he was a great student of the game, but that processing speed and the ability to absorb a blow and stay on his feet and then come off a block and make a play uh, were two things that very, very that he was rare in, in both those in both those categories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our guest today is Bill Polian, the Hall of Fame executive who has a new book out, Super Bowl Blueprints with Vic Carucci. The book is available at Amazon and at triumphbooks.com. And Bill, the other thing I want to ask you about, I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of the Bears coaching search. I know there are details that are privy. I'm not interested in that. But the man that came out of that search was the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, hired as the Bears head coach. What about Matt Eberflus? made him stand out to the point that the Bears hired him as their next head coach? Well, for one thing, uh, Ryan Poles really liked him. Um, he he was, had a, a, a proclivity for him going in, and then uh, Flus in the interview, uh, in, the, in the second interview, which was with Ryan alone, um, you know, convinced Ryan that he was the right guy. Having said that, uh, his defenses in Indianapolis – played with great hustle, great intensity, great physicality, and great athleticism. And from the Bears' standpoint, I think you have to presume that Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay until you find otherwise. And um, 
And, you know, we don't know what Detroit will be. We know that Cousins is staying probably in Minnesota. So you're going to have to find ways, A, to get to the passer and B, to cover in, in, a, in, in a really efficient way, which is with seven, if you can do it. If you can rush four and cover with seven, you're ahead of the game. That's the basis of Flus's defense. And, he, and it's, it's in many ways, it's back to the future because when Lovey was the coach, it's the same defense. Flus has updated it in terms of coverages. So you can do more in the way of blitzing. You can do more in the way of double covering people. And, and so he's added to it. But it's still the same defense based on, on 11 people to the ball on every play defensive lineman coming up field, pressuring the passer and, and, you know, a, a relentless approach, relentless and disciplined approach to defense, which Ryan really believes in. And, um, and, and so do I, and so does George. And so does everybody in Chicago. That's, that's been the calling card of the bears since the buddy Ryan days. And, and even before the monsters of midway. Um, so uh, it resonated. You mentioned that the Bears have to presume that Aaron Rodgers is back in Green Bay. What does Hall of Fame executive Bill Pullian presume about what may or may not be in store for Aaron Rodgers' future? What's your take there, Bill? I, I think you have to believe he's coming back until you find out otherwise. I, I really do. I mean, you know, he's he's got people there that, that he trusts, players that he trusts. I think he's got a good relationship with the coach. Um they seem to indicate that they're going to do everything they get within their power to try and keep him. And, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener and, uh, and he's reaching the end of his career. So for him, the question is, how does he get another Super Bowl? How does he get another ring? So um, that may be as good a place as any. So uh, until I find out otherwise, I'm presuming he's in Green Bay. Well, if we presume that he's in Green Bay and we presume that Russell Wilson staying in Seattle, that number one gives more leverage to the Houston Texans if they should happen to trade Deshaun Watson. And it also leaves a lot of teams out in the dark when it comes to acquiring that top flight talent that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, getting into play quarterback. And there's going to be a lot of teams left shorthanded this offseason looking for a quarterback who's just not available. Because once again, as we always mention, the support supply of quarterbacks is way less than the demand for all these quarterbacks, Bill. And a lot of teams are going to be left empty-handed once again if Rodgers is back and if Wilson's back and only one team can get Watson. And that's assuming that all the legal issues are resolved in a certain way, not to mention the investigation. Yeah, that's correct. And, and, and that leads us to Jimmy G. <laughs> so what so what's his value then <laughs> if all those things that you just described take place his value is skyrocketed <laughs> what do you think his value would ordinarily be and what do you think it could grow into if all these things play out the way that you sense they could well ordinarily i think you'd probably be talking probably a two and a, and, a, and a three maybe four yep. um now, could it end up in a bidding war? I don't know. I, my sense is in talking to people around the league, there's a point beyond which they won't go for him because they know two things. 
Number one, he's probably not going to play 17 games. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty much a given. And second of all, there are many people that that believe that he's he's not, uh, you know, a top echelon quarterback. So would you are you willing to overpay in 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 an overheated market? That's the question. A lot of people now saying no. I don't know what they'll say in March. (laughs) <laughs> it's easy to say no now, right? right? It's not as easy to say no in late March when there are no more options available. That's correct. <laughs> and I would also say this, and I was in the minority last offseason when I kept saying over and over, and not a lot of people believe that, that the 49ers could and would wind up holding on to Jimmy G, which they did. And even though he expects to be traded, and even though that's the likely outcome, there still is a scenario under which the 49ers could decide, you know what? We haven't got what we wanted in return for Jimmy G. We'll bring him back for $25 million. He plays out his contract. We leaves. We get a comp pick. And we've got the assurances that we need for a very popular guy in the locker room. He's really respected and beloved in that locker room while they wait for Trey Lance to turn into the quarterback that they want him to be. Again, not the ideal scenario, but I don't know where Trey Lance is going to be this summer. They don't know where he's going to be this summer in terms of his offseason growth. And so that would remain to me an option, and I know it's an outside option. I know people don't believe it, but I'm not dismissing that option just yet. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think everything you say is correct. If I'm John, uh, John Lynch, I'm sitting here saying to myself, you know, do I want to put this guy on the market? And 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 and, 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 and what is the return that will allow me to run the risk of, of losing him? And 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 then you know, Lance not panning out the way we hope that he would. And and Coach Shanahan will have a lot to say about it too. So I, I think that's a genuine possibility. Bill, it's very nice that we could agree on so many issues today. <laughs> we always do. <laughs> <laughs> not always, but usually. <laughs> usually. Well, again, Bill Polian, Hall of Fame executive, has a book out with Vic Carucci called Super Bowl Blueprints. It's now available at Amazon and triumphbooks.com. Bill, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insights. It's always a pleasure and an honor to be joined by you. And I always feel smarter having spoken to you after our conversation. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Bill. Take care. You too. And you did a great job figuring out the Zoom, by the way, I should add. (laughs) I'm getting good on Zoom. I can't look at all those interviews in Chicago on Zoom. There you go. You're a well, Zoom expert. <laughs> Take care, Bill. Take care. And there is Bill Polian, who at one point in time made the transition from football organization to television, which is the option that now will be facing the former Saints head coach, Sean Payton, who's talking to TV networks about coming to work for them. And here's what I would say to Sean Payton and to everybody out there who is counting on him being back in the NFL in 2023 after the 2022 season. That may happen, but it may not. Because Sean Payton's going to accept a job, I believe, with one of these networks, and he's going to be either in the studio doing pregame work or he's going to be in a booth analyzing a football game. And what Sean Payton's going to realize is that his life will be a lot more balanced and a lot more even, and he won't have the highs, and he won't have the lows, but he will have new teammates on whatever network he's working for, 
and it will be a more peaceful existence. Now, what none of us know is how he's going to like that compared to what he used to do. There were people who, when Bill Cower stepped away from the Steelers, said he'll be back coaching. And almost two decades later, we're still waiting for Bill Cower to go back to coach, which I don't know that he ever will again. And I think Sean Payton may be the next person to step into that same situation, much to the disappointment of the, all the Dallas Cowboys fans who are waiting for him to take over their franchise. Sean's going to start a TV job at some point, and I think he's going to like it. And I think that that may be enough to keep him doing TV for a little bit longer than people think, and we'll see how that works out. Speaking of TV, we did TV this past week from Disneyland in Anaheim, California. And so while many of our reporting brethren were stationed around Los Angeles and all around the city there, we at ESPN were at Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. And on Saturday morning, our on-air team for Sunday Countdown, Monday Night Countdown, we assembled to ride the rides, to go on the Incredicoaster in Disneyland, and then to go on the Guardians of the Galaxy. And the idea was we were going to take some footage and play it into the pregame show, which we did on Sunday morning on Sunday NFL Countdown. Well, we met at about 6.30 in the morning and began riding the roller coasters on an empty stomach and one ride in, which we did. I wasn't feeling great. Like, was this upside-down roller coaster? Really was not uh, something that you want to do that early in the morning on an empty stomach. And then I had to do it again because we were filming a 30 seconds of Schefter spot, the weekly spot that we do on Sunday NFL countdown. And I was riding with Randy Moss and I got off that ride. And I got to tell you, I didn't feel great at all. Really, really queasy. We wound up going to guardians of the galaxy, which again, I think at one point in time in Disneyland was called the tower of terror or the terror of tower. No, the tower of terror. And we rode that. And I sat next to Sam Ponder on that ride. And I hope she doesn't get mad when I tell the story, but it feels as if you're literally falling out of a building and falling stories and stories and stories. And it's a very weird, intense feeling. And as me and Sam and Teddy Bruschi and Randy Moss uh, rode this ride, Rex Ryan, Sam Ponder was screaming out. She was right next to me. Aside from the fact that the hearing in my left ear may never be the same. Sam kept screaming, I'm going to pee in my pants. I'm going to pee in my pants. <laughs> and so when they played my little bit on Sunday morning about riding the roller coaster and Sam started making fun of me and asking what I felt like, I said on air, Sam, I felt a little bit like you did on Guardians of the Galaxy. I didn't wet my pants, at least. At least I didn't wet my pants. And she obviously was quite embarrassed about that. But that was a lot of fun on Saturday morning, riding the rides at Disneyland. I don't know that you ever get too old for it. And I know that. After we were there, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, the rest of the Rams decided to go this week as well to ride some of the rides. Hopefully they handled it in a much braver fashion than both me and Sam Ponder did on Saturday morning. And then one other thing that I did want to address before we signed off this week and moved on to next week, and that was something that happened after the game when I posted this one post on social media, the ESPN social media team drew up a graphic of Odell Beckham Jr. and Matthew Stafford celebrating their first ever Super Bowl title in front of Jarvis Landry, Eli Manning, and Calvin Johnson. Now, the way that I took that photo was these guys were watching and very happy and proud for their former teammates, which is how I interpreted it. And I posted the image with a caption that said to all those who said that this couldn't be done or something to that effect. And all of a sudden, 
it turns into like this controversial topic on social media. I was like, what? People thinking that I was taking a shot at Jarvis Landry or Eli Manning or Calvin Johnson saying that they said that these players could never win. No, no. I, w- I was posting the image because it was a cool image because these guys clearly were proud of their former teammates. And there were a lot of people in the public eye who said that Matthew Stafford and Odell Beckham Jr. never win a Super Bowl. But it incited such vitriol on social media. There's more and more of that these days. It's amazing to me. And eventually, I just deleted the post. I'm like, obviously, people are misinterpreting it. Now, maybe I wrote a message that was misinterpreted, and I am responsible for that. And if I am, my apologies. And so we just decided to just take that down, which I almost never do. I don't remember the last time I deleted a tweet. But in this case, I felt like this is being taken completely in a way that I did not mean it. And so I just decided to delete that tweet. But the intent was that there were people, many people, who felt that Matthew Stafford and Odell Beckham Jr. never would win a Super Bowl. And now both fittingly, deservedly, both have. And I think there are people very happy, including myself, to see that for them, including myself and Jarvis Landry and Eli Manning and Calvin Johnson. Not a shot at them. We all were looking on from afar with admiration and respect, much props to them. There was absolutely nothing intended by a post that somehow people read into in an entirely different way. But that is the social media world in which we sometimes now live. It's a crazy world we now live in. All right. Super Bowl 56 is over. We begin to turn our attention now towards next season to Super Bowl 57. And we have a little trend here as well. We should point out that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won a Super Bowl on their home field. The Los Angeles Rams won a Super Bowl on their home field. And this bodes well for the Arizona Cardinals and the Las Vegas Raiders and New Orleans Saints because the next three Super Bowls are scheduled to be played in order in Arizona, in Las Vegas, and in New Orleans. So if this streak holds, we will see Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, And whoever's playing quarterback in New Orleans have a chance to do what Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford have these past couple of seasons. All right. It's going to be an interesting weekend this weekend. This will be the first weekend without football since July. Can have Sunday off. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like this week. Look forward to not having to get up at four or five in the morning, not having to think about what we're going to be doing on ESPN Sunday countdown and to just living a normal, regular Sunday that so many people get to live. We'll see how that goes. We'll be back in this spot again next week. I want to thank Bill Poley and the Hall of Fame executive for his time and insight. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott as well, for helping to put this podcast together. And thank you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll be back with more information, insights, and interviews in this very same spot. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.